This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. Here we are, July 2013. Uh, Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. Uh, I guess I should preface the uh, introduction to this show by saying that I'm just not used to doing this uh, solo at this point in time. Uh, Sarah uh, has joined us for the last, oh, I don't know, four or five, six years now. So uh, she's busy looking after our little beautiful baby girl. And uh, so I'm just going to read the introduction just as if she were here, because it just doesn't sound right to... Uh, do it as a an individual. So, uh, my name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to our shows, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 till 8 p.m., we're both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England, uh, graduating there with a degree in herbal medicine. And we run a clinic in Garberville, where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock you're invited to call in with questions either related or unrelated to this month's continuing subject of the heart, hormones and uh, hopefully we'll get into uh, Dr. Pete's uh, recent uh, work on cataracts, uh, ageing, degeneration, swelling, etc. So that's something to uh, look forward to for sure. Uh, so the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. That's 1-800-568-372. Excuse me, 3723. Uh, we can also be reached toll-free on 1-888-WBM-HERB for consultations or further information after the uh, show Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Okay, so Dr. P, are you with us? Um, yeah, but there's a terrific hum on the line. I can hardly hear you. Ah. Uh, when she switched it over, it started buzzing. Oh dear, yeah, I can kind of I can kind of hear it myself through my headphones. It doesn't sound that loud to me, but it's still very loud to you. I would, yeah, it's louder than you are. Yeah, Sue, is there anything that you know you can do? I'll call him back in a different line. Okay. All right, so um, I think basically Dr. Pete's going to be called back on a different line. I think there's another VIP line that he can be called on just to make sure that we can get a decent uh, decent call from him. Okay, so I wanted to uh, carry on the uh, last month, or in fact the last couple of months, because the subject's so broad that it's very difficult to try and sum it up that quickly, and there's always spin-off questions that get ask, asked um, you know, during... Uh, the, after the show's finished, so during the weeks following, we get call, callers from people 
interested about the previous month's subject and they ask him uh, questions themselves uh, surrounding the subject. So it seems to have been consistently evolving into a, <coughs> excuse me, a fairly large subject. So that the subject of uh, uh, edema and wetness in general as a term as opposed to dryness, uh, wetness of the tissue. And I know Dr. Peets always mentioned that tumours, uh, when they arise, are generally solid, but actually they have a, a higher than average water content. And uh, so that was part of later on this uh, later on this show's uh, discussion into uh, eye changes, uh, mentioning things like uh, age-related macular degeneration in particular and glaucoma, also having very uh, high water concentrations and that being an interesting uh, component along with estrogen's uh, devastating effects. I uh, can't say enough about estrogen and how bad it is for women. We've done many shows regarding estrogen in the past and again it, it'll bring up uh, the, the kind of sinister side of estrogen if you like and we've mentioned before uh, many times that the only real function for estrogen is for implantation of a fertilized ovum uh, outside of that it wreaks quite a lot of havoc uh, in the female body uh, it also does nothing very good in a male body so uh, but especially with f females the uh, the advancing age and estrogen is a, a very negative and inflammatory molecule. So uh, we'll bring out tonight's uh, subject of uh, estrogen in that context, uh, linking it to HRT and that kind of stuff. Okay, so I don't know how uh, Dr. Pete is, uh, whether he can hear us any better than the uh, previous line. Uh, both the hum and your voice got weaker. Huh. But you still have, you still have a hum on the line? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be able to manage it? Because I'm not too sure uh, the engineer can yeah, do Yeah, if you talk like this. Yeah. Okay, good. So you, you can hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Well, thanks for bearing with us. Um, as usual, uh, people uh, haven't heard of you before, surprisingly enough. I know you're pretty uh, pretty well known across, across the web in terms of your... Uh, um, articles and the work that you've been doing for 30 or more years uh, in the field of health and hormones and, and your uh, PhD research. So for the benefit of those people perhaps who've never heard your name before, um, would you just outline your academic background? Um, after getting several years after I got my master's degree in a humanities uh, area, I went back to graduate school in 1968 studied biology and biochemistry for a PhD in 1972. Okay. Um, that's, that's pretty much the relevant <laughs> okay. stuff. All right, fine. Let's, let's leave it at that. Okay, so um, just carrying on uh, from the last two shows, we've um, been talking quite a lot about uh, interwoven subjects from uh, the, uh, the heart's mechanism, its pumping action, how it's inhibited, uh, we've woven in things uh, mentioning the estrogen uh, in many different uh, ways about how damaging it is and how it affects uh, physiology in a very negative way. Um, I wanted just to cover the, and we, I know we have done this before in the past, maybe a year or, or more ago, but the, the, the very real uh, and present uh, danger of the environmental estrogens that we're exposed to um, from plastics and things like BPA. What, uh, what, do you, what do you know more especially about these things in terms of their negative impact? I, I couldn't really hear that. 
Okay, I'll, I'll ask again, and we'll see, we'll see if uh, we can make this work or not. The um, damaging effects of it, environmental estrogens that are found in such compounds as BPA uh, and other plastics that uh, have a uh, hormone-mimicking uh, effects. Uh, yeah, when, when the organism is exposed at a very early stage, uh, such as during gestation or infancy, um, the um, signals for development are changed so that the, uh, uh, especially the reproductive system is changed. Uh, but uh, besides changing the individual by giving it false signals, uh, the DNA is altered slightly by attaching methyl groups to it as part of that misguided uh, development. And that means that the um, uh, ability to express enzymes for the rest of its life will uh, be influenced unless it can somehow uh, remove those methyl groups. Uh, but typically they will last for three or four generations even without further change. Uh, so uh, the changes that happen to one individual can be passed on uh, for generations, altering the, the fertility, for example, until uh, it can tend to, to cause the species to uh, just disappear. Okay, so what, what's your opinion about the, uh, the, the, the amount of pollution that uh, we are, as an organism, exposed to directly from uh, estrogenic-like substances in the environment? Um, the, what we know about uh, certain areas, the Columbia River and the ocean off the mouth of the Columbia, for example, they're seeing lots of uh, fish, uh, simpler uh, water organisms, uh, even mammals that are uh, sexually malformed and developing tumors. Mm. And uh, in, in Florida, there have been a lot of stories about uh, the swamp animals uh, that are becoming sterile, um, changing genders and so on. Uh, so uh, the... Um, News reported about human health, I think, isn't being uh, up-to-date or honestly reported right. because uh, what we see in the wild animals, uh, I think it un undoubtedly is uh, affecting humans to a great degree, too. Yeah. You think this could be so widespread and so endemic that it's almost uh, almost impossible for anyone to put a lid on it, and that's why it's not being uh, exposed as much as it should be? or. Uh, yeah, because of the um, influence of the estrogen industry, there's a terrific reluctance to admit that estrogen has these toxic effects, even mm -hmm. though it's been known for a 100 years. Yeah. But it's only in the last 10 or 15 years that uh, people have really been researching in an organized way uh, uh, influences such as these environmental uh, plastic uh, chemicals and so on, and uh, the, uh, the influence of the uh, estrogen industry is simply uh, going to blame any effects they see on uh, such things as diet 
uh, smoking too much, uh, a bad way of living and so on. Yeah. yeah, rather than the root cause. Well, I hope so. I mean, last month was a testimony, um, especially, especially for me having a reasonably close working relationship with you over the last few years doing the show that you've been consistently mentioning how bad polyunsaturates are and finally it showed up in the medical literature that indeed what you've been saying is very true and so <laughs> I know you've also said that whilst uh, a lie spreads around the world in a moment truth is still getting her boots on so hopefully in the not too distant future they'll be uh, printing the same kind of things as you're saying about the uh, estrogens uh, in the environment and what we need to do um, to protect ourselves from it. A another uh, subject around uh, estrogens, um, the association of heart failure and cardiac death. What, what, do you, what have you found from estrogens' effects on those subjects? Um, despite all of the... Um Oh, 40 years at least of uh, propaganda trying to sell estrogen to men to prevent heart attacks, for example. <laughs> uh -huh. They found that they died faster when they took estrogen. <laughs> uh, but Oops. they keep coming back trying to sell estrogen as a heart-protective uh, hormone. And uh, the Women's Health Initiative somewhat set that back by showing that uh, the uh, use of uh, estrogen replacement therapy for menopause uh, increased the number of uh, heart attacks as well as cancer and dementia. Uh, but despite that, they're still uh, hoping to uh, bring back their sales to the 2002 level where they uh, dropped off so sharply. Uh, just in the last day or two, an article appeared uh, from... Uh, Yale Medical School um, doing what they call a meta-analysis, meaning picking out some articles from uh, junky medical magazines uh -huh. and uh, analyzing them uh, for the, the uh, type of results basically the way they want. Until the Women's Health Initiative, the medical journals for 20 or 30 years were just swamped with the um, heart protective benefits and the brain anti-Alzheimer's effect and even the anti-cancer effects of estrogen. And uh, wow. despite the Women's Health Initiative, these people are now looking back at their journals and uh, drawing out of them uh, the kind of information they want. And uh, this uh, study, so-called published uh, by the Yale people, claims that uh, tens of thousands of women are dying unnecessarily by refusing to take their estrogen treatment <laughs> for menopause. No way. Oh, my goodness. When exactly the opposite is true, they've probably got a greater chance of living without it, huh? Um, yeah, and hearing it come from Yale, uh, it reminds me of uh, about 40 years ago, uh, there was a daytime television program in which... Uh, Barbara Seaman debated a Yale professor of medicine. I suspect it's the same one that sponsored uh, <laughs> this recent study. And uh, she made him look like a complete ignoramus uh, because she knew the facts and he was just quoting uh, the medical doctrine. Yeah. 
uh, I suspect that Yale is now having its revenge because uh, Barbara Seaman is dead. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Well, let me just remind people uh, who they're listening to here. So uh, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM. And from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject. Our guest speaker is Dr. Raymond Peake, uh, and the number is 923-3911, or if you live outside the area, 1-800-KMUD-RAD, and the lines will be open from 7.30 to 8 o'clock. Okay, so, Dr. Peake, again, uh, we'll just carry on a little bit more with the, um, the subject of estrogen, uh, because... I know that you mentioned that uh, varicose veins uh, were an, a fairly important outward sign or a visible sign uh, of the lowered ratio of progesterone being the good hormone, the healthy anti-inflammatory hormone. So it's a sign of lowered progesterone to estrogen. What, what, have, you, uh, what have you to say about that? Um, although estrogen is a cell excitant, it... Uh, in the process of uh, stimulating uh, one kind of cell activity <clears throat> uh, tends to make it retain water. The individual cell uh, stays excited uh, too long, uh-huh. and <clears throat> in the process of being excited, the cell admits water, and uh, it has to relax uh, a certain length of time to expel the water. And so under the influence of too much unopposed estrogen, uh, cells tend to get more and more waterlogged. And even though they're excited, uh, they uh, progressively lose the ability to contract fully because uh, in contracting, the the protein mechanism has to be uh, interacting with itself rather than pushing against a swollen uh, amount of water right. and uh, that means that in a, a muscle such as the wall of a vein under the influence of uh, high estrogen and low progesterone, testosterone and so on uh, the wall of the vein becomes waterlogged and uh, can't contract periodically to maintain its tone and uh, the same thing happens in uh, nerves, um, heart muscle, uh, everywhere in the body that estrogen is able to uh, have its influence. And uh, in these estrogen-dominated cells, uh, the ability to contract uh, becomes uh, progressively weaker. Albert St. Georgi demonstrated the effect of estrogen and progesterone on heart muscle. Uh, over 50 years ago and uh, showed that uh, under the influence of progesterone, if you stimulate the heart at an increasing frequency, each stroke becomes stronger. So it is uh, an efficient way to respond to frequent stimulation. It relaxes in between, uh, gathers its equipment together and then has a bigger contraction uh, under the influence of progesterone. But if it's influenced or dominated by estrogen, it's unable to accumulate uh, that information 
that the stimulation is increasing in frequency. So the estrogenized heart will respond uh, to, to the fast stimulation by just more of the same weak little contractions. So this and that's basically how a failing heart behaves. Right, right. I was just going to ask you that. Okay, so that's that's a typical picture of, of a just a gradually aging, failing heart. That it uh, it's not allowed to uh, uh, the, the excitatory stage is too long. It's not allowed to re relax or repolarize and uh, remove the water, and it just gradually gets weaker and more feeble. You have faded into the buzz again. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll try. I'll try and stay as close to this microphone as I can without okay. without, without sucking it. <laughs> okay. So um, you mentioned in your response to that last question that uh, uh, progesterone and testosterone th- these are two compounds that will oppose the action of estrogen, and and, and presumably then they would be useful for. Uh, people that had, not just women perhaps, but people that had estrogen-dominant type uh, pathologies or, or, or you know, conditions? Um, that's, it's now being recognized that uh, testosterone has an anti-cancer uh, value as well. Just recently, oh, okay. uh, another study came out showing that a testosterone deficiency uh, is a strong predisposer to prostate cancer okay okay well let's talk about let's talk about uh, testosterone a little bit then as that's a fairly uh, fairly pertinent topic I, I know that you've um, when you, when we've talked in the past about uh, the best way to go about exercising you've always mentioned uh, non stressful exercise so you don't advocate the aerobic type uh, gymnasium workout where you get your heart rate up to 160 and you're breathing rapidly and um, that's not what you want you want weight bearing exercise that doesn't make you breathless and I know you've said in the past that that kind of exercise increases your ability to produce muscle and it's the muscle that's so important in basically helping you to maintain a good stable weight but that muscle also uh, through the action of thyroid uh, enables your body to metabolize things more efficiently because it's, uh, it, it's, it's way more of a useful substance in your body than the fat of an unhealthy or unexercised person. Um, and the muscle also metabolizes the steroid hormones and uh, with exercise it can actually decrete testosterone uh, but in the resting the muscle idle secreted? or stressed muscle uh, without adequate uh, stimulation from uh, good food and thyroid, muscles produce a lot of estrogen. In one oh. study, uh, they were using the blood draining from a monkey's arm to uh, as a control comparison for the blood coming out of the ovary. They found that the monkey's arm was producing as much estrogen as its ovary, and uh, that that uh, probably isn't uh, a good representative of the average person. But uh, because the the monkey was anesthetized and so on, and under the influence of stress and chemicals, but uh, basically any stressed tissue 
is going to uh, tend to produce estrogen. But a well-exercised, uh, strong muscle begins producing testosterone and stops producing estrogen. Wow. So, so muscles that in their own right can secrete testosterone? Um, yes. Ah, okay. I think I was always under the impression that in the, in the male, uh, the main site of testosterone production would be the uh, testes. But um, is there anywhere else in the body that um, testosterone can be secreted from? Is it? Is it um, yeah, I think the skin uh, is known to produce wow. uh, uh, testosterone, among other steroid hormones. Uh-huh. Uh, it's um, a fairly, it might be the body's biggest endocrine right. synthetic factory. Yep, yep. <laughs> we often forget about the skin being the largest organ of the body, but it's true enough. Okay. Uh, I have another I have another question for you and, and again it's kind of related um to cholesterol. Um I know that you've uh, mentioned a previous study that uh positively associated an improved outcome from heart failure in relation to an increased cholesterol level. Dr. Pete did, did you did you hear that Dr. Pete? Uh, not exactly. Okay, let me re- let me say that again. Um, an increased cholesterol positively associated uh, is associated positively with an improved outcome from heart failure. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, that pretty much can be generalized to other muscles. Uh, everyone is hearing the bad news about uh, the anti-cholesterol drugs uh, that. Uh, cause a muscle breakdown. Right. Uh, sometimes the muscle breaks down so completely that uh, the uh, proteins leaking from the, the broken down muscle uh, poison the kidneys and can even kill the person. <laughs> but uh, that's because uh, cholesterol is a stabilizing factor for the skeletal muscles, and if you stop uh, cholesterol synthesis, uh, the muscles are very susceptible to damage. And those same processes are known to occur simultaneously in the heart muscle. Uh, the, uh, the leakage of those proteins that can damage the kidneys, uh, they always assume it is coming from the skeletal muscles, but uh, the heart under those uh, chemicals is known to uh, leak the same proteins. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay, I think I've got one, one or two more questions, and then we'll get into the uh, the current uh, the, the current interest that you have in looking at the uh, similarities or the links between uh, cancers and uh, tissue tissue states, the wetness, especially with uh, uh, eye disease. So that, that'll be that'll be a, 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 a new and interesting uh, look at the approach to treatment for uh, age-related macular degeneration, for instance. Um, I just had another couple of questions um, related to cancer. Um, I know you've had, uh, in your previous newsletter, you've mentioned uh, the link between um, hypoxia, which is a kind of oxygen, oxygen deficit, and cancer. Um, yeah, yeah, the um, thing that's in the research a lot lately is the uh, hypoxia-inducible factor, which is a protein that shows up uh, first they were seeing it uh, wherever they cut off the oxygen supply. But that same protein 
can really be induced by cutting off the glucose supply, too. So mm. it really should be called the, the energy deprivation yeah. protein. They, they call it by its name, its initials, HIF, hypoxia-inducible factor. Huh. So it's not it's so, a, it's not so much related to oxygen deprivation as sugar deprivation. Uh, yeah, energy deprivation. Yeah, okay. And um, that has been studied primarily in relation to, to cancer and finding ways to block that uh, protein production. But it turns out that just getting enough glucose and oxygen delivered to the tissue is a very simple way to inhibit that, that protein. So, so tell me this. protein turns on all of the bad processes, uh, heme oxygenase with uh, carbon monoxide production, nitric oxide synthase, uh, lactic acid production, prostaglandin uh, production causing inflammation, activating aromatase and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then lactic acid in turn activates the HIF hypoxia factor. So it, once it gets started, the inflammation tends to promote more inflammation and hypoxia. Right. Now, uh, forgive me for, for being, being uh, thoughtless perhaps, but uh, hypoxia as a state of low oxygen um, and being, a, being a, a negative thing, which is what we always normally would associate a low oxygen status with, being dangerous and uh, life-threatening. I know you've always promoted um, a, a CO2, a carbon dioxide-rich environment, as being a, uh, a beneficial uh, a cellular matrix, as it were, to have a uh, higher carbon dioxide content. So what would necessarily, I mean, I know you've mentioned that the hypoxia-inducible factor you've just talked about is probably more accurately termed a glucose uh, lack, but... Is there if anything really negative about hypoxia? hypoxia? If you think of the hypoxia as turning on lactic acid, which then turns on all of these other uh, inflammatory signals, uh, right. and then you see that Got it. carbon dioxide turns off the production of lactic acid. Uh, oh. Simply the ability to turn off lactic acid production is one of the basic protective uh, features of carbon dioxide. Yeah. Okay, good. It's, it's the association then between lactic acid and carbon dioxide. That's the important thing. Okay. All right, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMD Garville 91.1 FM, and from now until 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated to this month's subject of the heart, hormones, and cancer, and the eyes. Okay, the number if you live in the area is 923 3911. Or if you're outside the area, the 1-800 number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And our special guest speaker is Dr. Raymond Pete. Okay, so I think we'll probably uh, get into the, uh, the next subject, uh, of which um, I think you're probably going to be writing a newsletter at, the, at some point here maybe, but um, as yet you haven't. Um, so that I know when we've spoken, you've mentioned that uh, your research is showing that um, wetness as opposed to dryness, the wetness uh, in the eye uh, associated with cataracts is the same kind of wetness that's found in tumours, uh, it's found in the heart during heart failure, and also in, in the brain during uh, brain disease. Um, yeah, uh, despite the fact that 
uh, the uh, failing heart becomes hardened, even calcified, and uh, tumors are stiffer than healthy tissue. Uh, and even with age, uh, in a very serious dementia, the, the brain can become sort of rubbery with so many connective tissue cells. Despite the fact that the tissue is becoming firmer, uh, these thick uh, degenerative states actually contain more water so that if you dry a piece of the organ, uh, it loses much more weight than a, a healthy organ would okay. uh, in relation to the uh, given amount of nuclear nucleic acids and uh, proteins and so on. Uh, these degenerative tissues uh, have a, a very high percentage of water, but besides the actual percentage of water, the water changes state um, and becomes uh, relatively more like free bulk water. Huh. It, can, it can be frozen where the, the healthy cell uh, is functioning somewhat as an uh, antifreeze binding the, the water so that it isn't as uh, free to move out of the cell or to um, be frozen or um, otherwise subject to influence. Do, do, you, do you think, we do actually have a couple of callers on the line, but do you, just quickly to um, rephrase what you said, do, are you saying that the uh, water found in these tissues uh, during these type of pathologies is not... Uh, it's not electrically the same as regular water? Um, well, if, if you freeze, say you have a, a lens that has cataracts in it mm -hmm. and uh, has a much higher percentage of water per protein molecule, yeah. uh, and if you uh, freeze that, it'll crystallize uh, easier than a healthy lens. And uh, this can be studied in an um, MRI machine uh, because the you can very clearly see the difference between the water that's bound firmly to the cell in the way it should be or the water that's just sitting there uh, as excess useless water huh. plugging up the cell function. Huh. Interesting. All right, well, let, let's not keep these callers. We've got, I think we've got three callers on the line now, so let, let's take the first caller. You're on the air? Hello, you're on the air. Okay, a caller was on the air, so it's not there anymore? Okay, for some reason. Okay, so... We had another person that didn't want to wait, but she wanted to know if black cohosh was effective for menopause. Okay, so a bit of a convoluted question because black cohosh is typically used in the literature for uh, menopause, uh, decreasing night sweats. But I think there is also a lot of research coming out of Europe which actually prevents the uh, use of black cohosh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, as a kind of uh, more of a kind of estrogen stimulant. So I've always uh, kind of viewed black cohosh with a little bit of uh, caution. Um, it's not something that I would say straight away would be uh, useful, but um, there are other ways to lower your uh, estrogen state because the, the whole point of the uh, black cohosh was that it was more of an estrogen replacement. Um, so, I've heard some ideas that it was um, an anti-prolactin factor. I don't know what the current state of that idea is. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm not too sure about that either, Dr. Pete. And what did you say, Sue? She wanted to know what the best herb would be for menopause or herbs. Uh, well, really, it's, it's, it's probably as much about your uh, excess estrogen as anything else. I know, Dr. Pete, um, in terms of menopause, you would probably suggest that um, excess estrogen is one of the main causes and to bring that down into line with the anti-estrogen hormone pregnenolone or progesterone would probably be the most uh, efficient way of doing it. And usually thyroid. To, right. Uh, right. The, uh, cholesterol tends to rise at menopause, and, and if, if thyroid is adequate, uh, that will keep turning the cholesterol into more of the pregnenolone and progesterone to protect against estrogen. Right. Good. Okay, so there's another caller on the line. So let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Yes. Is this uh, for me? Yeah, you're, you're on the air. Yes. Hello, this is David. Um, you know, and I know this is kind of a, a deep subject, and I've heard you ask questions before about water, Andrew, and, and I've, I've read different things that Dr. Pete has written about, like poly water and different types of more structured water. And I'm just curious. I, you... You asked a question just a minute ago, and I don't know if I understood the answer, but when we have these tissues that are experiencing edema and we have, you know, what we're calling H2O, is that water considered to not be structured at its optimum? And uh, in, in line with that, a, a kind of a, a similar question is, it seems like I've heard that... Um, I think I've heard this from Dr. Pete and these different discussions that do we produce our own water at times and is that a more structured water? And then the other question is like when we drink orange juice or we drink milk and say we're drinking raw milk versus pasteurized milk, is the water content within those foods, is that considered a, a very optimum structured water? Okay, Dr. Pete, did, did you hear those questions clearly or? Uh, yeah, uh, there are, uh, my, my article on uh, the poly water question uh, talks about some of the, the the ranges of influence, how far a certain surface can influence a structure, such as in clay. Uh, the uh, the water in ordinary clay is structured differently from bulk water, but uh, there's also a question of how long the uh, influence of that surface can last. Uh, Gerald Pollack at the University of Washington has, uh, there are some videos on the internet that you can see his demonstrations of uh, some of the odd behavior of water, even in uh, a fairly uh, bulk situations. Uh, but ordinarily, it, it doesn't make any difference whether you drink uh, uh, water that has been boiled recently or frozen recently. Uh, it's mostly a matter of degassing that, that makes it behave differently according to its recent history. Uh, it's, it's safe to drink uh, oh, tea or coffee water that's been boiled. Uh, but what matters is the state of the water inside the cell, and that's governed by the energy of the metabolism and the ratio of things like carbon dioxide to lactic acid. Um, in the lens, the proteins 
uh, in other hard tissues, uh, collagen is the main protein that gives it stiffness. But in the lens, the main protein is called uh, crystalline. And uh, it happens that crystalline is very well-ordered with reference both to the structure of water and to the wavelengths of visible light so that the water surrounding these proteins in the lens is uh, so well-ordered that it doesn't interfere with or reflect or absorb the light passing through it. Mm. So it's an essential protein uh, for maintaining the transparency of the lens. And uh, this protein, if you compare it to collagen or albumin or other common proteins, uh, the protein can bind very firmly uh, much more water, about twice as much water as other proteins, uh, and hold it under its influence. Uh, so uh, really the, the water of the lens and the protein is in a tight system in a normal state, but when uh, the energy processes fail and you uh, absorb influences such as estrogen, polyunsaturated fats, uh, lactic acid, uh, various toxins, then uh, the energy is uh, unable to repair the system and the the water uh, gets out of control of these proteins and uh, starts becoming uh, ordinary bulk water that uh, interferes with with the uh, passage of light and and lets uh, junk accumulate, such as broken down fragments of polyunsaturated fats, acrolein, for example, breaking down from the N-3 proteins is a major factor in in, uh, cataract formation. Okay, I want to make sure that um, fairly quickly, because we do have a couple more callers, but that last caller also asked if we produce our own water, and is the water in milk and OJ uh, an optimum type of water? Um, yeah, the, the water that has been uh, filtered through an orange tree or a cow, it, it's at least <clears throat> very purified compared to of water you get out of the city <laughs> plumbing. Because <laughs> uh, I, I know you're not very keen on water, just per se drinking water. You'd much rather people drink something that has nutritional value. But yeah, and we do make uh, quite a bit of water metabolically uh, when we eat carbohydrate uh, in particular. Uh, the uh, We turn uh, some of the uh, oxygen that we are using to produce energy, some of that uh, becomes water. Mm-hmm. And uh, the metabolic water uh, is, is just uh, intermixing uh, with the water that we get from uh, the food itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the nature of the uh, uh, oxygens contained in carbohydrates uh, can influence the, uh, uh, the metabolism of the cell. Uh, the hydrogens, as well as the oxygen, uh, are a mixture of isotopes of different weight in uh, everything that 
that we eat or consist of, uh, we have a mixture of these uh, different weight isotopes. And uh, heavy water, deuterium mm -hmm. oxide, mm -hmm. it slows down our metabolism. So there's a slight difference in the water that we get uh, from uh, tropical sugar versus beet sugar that's grown up in a, a high altitude uh -huh. uh, because of the, wow. uh, the rainfall is uh, separating the heavy water from the light water. <laughs> Interesting. So that there is a slight difference in the, the quality of the water depending on where the fruit grows. Yeah, far out. Hey, Andrew, I, and I know I'm going to say this real quick. If, I'm sorry, but uh, I just want to make sure I understand one thing. So in a way, the water like you're talking about in the lens of the eye, it's structured so that it's almost like crystalline and that it actually structures the different materials that are that it's intermingling with? Um, well, the, the protein structures the water, and then the water admits uh, things selectively. Okay. Okay. Well, hey, thank you for that. Uh, that that's really interesting. But thank you very much. All right, thank you for your call. Okay, we have two more callers, so let's take the next caller. You're on the air? Hello. Hi, and where are you from? What's that? Where are you calling from? Oh, hey, I'm calling from uh, just uh, Leightonville down here. Okay. And uh, I'll be real quick. I know you got another call, and a uh, great show. Very, very interesting here. Thank you. Uh, I hate to backtrack here, but I take about uh, 100 milligrams of uh, metropolol. Okay. Uh, you know, it's a cholesterol thing. I've been taking it every day for like five years. I also take uh, isosorbide. It's a time-release nitroglycerin, you know, for my heart. Right, you have angina. Uh, I've had like uh, seven heart attacks in the last nine years. I'll take my answer off the air, but uh, with this much metropolol, uh, is this something I should be concerned about? Should I, uh, you know, like talk to my doc about it? Okay, Dr. P, what do you think about that? I, I don't know that drug. Do you know what class it is? Uh, I don't either. One moment. I don't know if the call is still there or not. Hello. Hi. Did you did you uh, ask here, Doctor P? He was asking if you knew what kind of what class of drug metropolol was in. Uh, I, t I take it for my cholesterol. That's all I know. Right. Yeah. I'm not too sure. Um, the, the only safe way I know to uh, lower cholesterol uh, chronically is by increasing thyroid function. Uh, in 1936 or seven, uh, people demonstrated that. Uh, if you remove a person's thyroid gland, uh, their cholesterol level goes up as a mirror image of their oxygen consumption going down. And when you give them a thyroid supplement, the uh, cholesterol will fall as the oxygen consumption increases. Uh, that's a very simple mechanism that uh, doctors uh, prefer to prescribe drugs with the toxic side effects, and uh, just lowering the cholesterol, even if the drug didn't have other side effects, uh, the cholesterol is normally destined to turn into DHEA, uh, progesterone, testosterone, and so on. And so if you push down the availability of cholesterol by any mechanism, you're going to tend to deprive the body of those steroids that it should be forming. All right. Hey, you guys are great, man. Thanks for all the information. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, good night. Good night.
Okay, so uh, were there any more callers on the air, Sue? Yeah, one more. Okay, so let's take this next caller. You're on the air? Oh, okay, they've gone. <laughs> okay, they've hung up. Okay, well, the number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the number's 1-800-KMUD-RAD. And the lines are open till 8 o'clock. Uh, so, guest speaker, Dr. Raymond Pete, uh, we're covering his uh, latest work on uh, the similarities between the uh, component or structural components of cataracts, uh, the uh, conditions like uh, macular degeneration, uh, tumours, and uh, heart failure in terms of the heart muscle. So, uh, I just wanted to ask you this next... Oh, is that... We had two very shy callers that didn't want to go on the air. Okay. And one question is um, regarding the thyroid um, supplements, does it matter if it's T or T3? That's one question. And then I'll ask the other one. Okay. All right. Well, th there's, there's two. There's T4 and T3. So um, it, would, it would very much matter, uh, depending on what their situation was, which one they may or may not be short of. So um, it's, Dr. P, how would you best answer this? Because uh, this is your... This is your subject. Uh, well, if uh, the uh, study that led to the substitution of thyroxine or T4 or the natural combination T3 and T4 was a test on uh, male medical students, <laughs> average age in the early 20s, okay. and being male, uh, they didn't have the uh, uh, problems that... Uh, Typically, females have about five or ten times the incidence of thyroid problems. So they tested thyroxine on a population that was extremely inappropriate for testing a thyroid product. And they said it works just like natural thyroid. And since it was a, a commercial proprietary material, uh, they preferred it to the natural product. But uh, after about 10 or 15 years, the uh, actual active hormone, T3, was identified and studied. And it was found that this is what uh, women lack typically, causing them to have five or ten times the thyroid problems that men do. Because estrogen interferes with the gland's secretion of both T4 and T3 but it especially interferes with the liver's ability to convert right. thyroxine to the active hormone T3. Right. Uh, so many women uh, actually get worse uh, symptoms when they take thyroxine because it suppresses the little bit of T3 that their thyroid gland is producing, uh, yet doesn't uh, add to the uh, amount of T3 that should be produced by the liver. Okay, excellent. And there's another reason yeah. why the excess estrogen found in uh, postmenopausal women or even uh, even menstruating women uh, works against them, or works against their thyroid? I didn't hear that. Okay, I, I just said that that's the, the main reason why um, menstruating or postmenopausal women are at more risk in terms of low thyroid function. Um, yeah, and uh, some of the uh, typically... Uh, female problems such as endometriosis are uh, just amazingly responsive to the proper uh, thyroid supplementation yeah. because uh, once the thyroid goes down 
then estrogen goes up. Right. And since the estrogen blocks thyroid action, it becomes a vicious circle. Yeah, got it. Okay, well, there is another caller on the air, so let's um, see if... Well, no, it's the caller who didn't want to go on the air, but they wanted to know um, what the effects of cannabinoids are on cancer. Dr. Pete. Oh, on cancer, I think people are still uh, exploring that. Uh, There are some suspicions that it might actually slow cancer growth. Others worry that it might uh, make it worse. But mostly it's used uh, to prevent the stress symptoms. And and for that, it's it's, uh, effective. So what do you you just just talking about that a little bit more um, in terms of... uh, as much as anything else, helping me understand more about it, because um, again, I think I'm probably on the fence in terms of not knowing enough one way or the other. But in, in terms of the plant and its relationship to hops, um, both in the Cannabaceae, hops express a lot of pro-estrogenic compounds, which is why the hop pickers during hop picking in August in England would lose their periods. Uh, such was it its powerful effects on the hormone system uh, do you look at um do you look at those compounds as being pro-estrogenic and if you do oh how, definitely hops, yeah. hops is a very powerful estrogen right um, how, how how is there any similarity given that the plants in the same family i'm sure there's a a lot of overlap uh, almost every plant has some estrogenic or anti-estrogenic material, but uh, mostly they're estrogenic because it's a defensive material that, uh, for example, acts like birth control pills for predators. (laughs) Uh, The um, known effects of heavy marijuana smoking are definitely estrogenic, but some of that could just be that any kind of smoke is estrogenic. Right. Right. And is, is there any parallel? Um, I know carbon monoxide is, uh, is present in abundant quantities when you smoke. Is, is there any way? And I've seen blood work from uh, clients um, who are smokers. They, they always seem to have a pretty high CO2, which you would say is a good thing. Is there a beneficial? I don't saying smoking is good and we should all start smoking, but um, is there anything more simplistic or is there something you know more uh, more dangerous at work than uh, just getting a little bit of extra co2 in your system oh well uh, the um, carbon monoxide uh, can accumulate and and have some uh, chronic harmful effects such as uh, on the liver function uh, but I think the real danger of smoke is the uh, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are inflammatory and estrogenic and carcinogenic. Just anything you burn is going to produce some of those. And then uh, any smoke of an, uh, a plant material is going to produce some dioxin-type material. Right. Okay. Um, I, I certainly do have more I want to ask you about the uh, in terms of your, your work looking at uh, uh, tissues and wetness and tumors um, but for fear of for fear of running over the show 
Uh, I don't want to uh, ask any more callers on the air. I think we do have a couple waiting, um, but um, I think we're going to carry this one on next month. I think there's enough interest in it, certainly, to, to bring out uh, more callers. So, Dr. P, I think... Uh, It'll give me an opportunity to let people know more about you, um, and I'll thank you very much for joining us. Okay. Hope you've got a better line. <laughs> I do, too. I, I'm sorry for the listeners who've uh, who perhaps uh, found a little difficulty in hearing, Dr. Pete, and I'm sorry, Dr. Pete, that you've had uh, difficulty hearing as well. Okay, so uh, just to wrap up the show, the next few minutes that we have, uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, has a website, and his address is www.raypeat.com. Uh, it has something in excess of 50 or more scientific journal articles uh, that are fully referenced scientifically, so uh, it's not just hearsay. Uh, he's been, uh, what do you call it, he's been crying out loud from a distance for quite some time now. Uh, I'm glad that people are uh, hearing what he has to say, and I'm glad that he's being vindicated by current scientific literature uh, being in accord with what he's been mentioning for 20 or 30 more years. So his website there, raypeat.com, is an excellent source of information. I um, would encourage you very much to go check it out. Uh, for those people that have uh, tuned into this show, thanks so much for calling. Uh, it's always always very helpful that you call in and that we know that the people out there that are listening and want to know more. I think it's always good to have that uh, kind of doubtful mind that wants to seek out more information and uh, not just be fed what it is that comes through the TV um, and in you know from adverts and uh, commercial newspapers, etc. So our toll-free number is one eight 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 WBM Herb. Uh, Sarah or I uh, can be reached Monday through Friday or maybe Sarah can't at this point in time folks I guess she has a baby <laughs> I've got to go start thinking that she's uh, right there right now but okay but I can be reached Monday through Friday 9 to 5 uh, consultations or whatever at the end of the show and if you have other questions uh, relating to this uh, month's show that would be fine too okay so thanks so much for joining us and uh, for those people that have ears let them hear want to give folks just a real quick look at the weather along the coast next few days going to be patchy fog lows in the high 50s and highs in the low 60s so around the 60 degree mark and then inland in redway it's calling for high on saturday tomorrow of 96 going up to 99 on sunday so hot inland on the weekend Support for Cayman comes in part from Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup, an anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antibacterial, antioxidant medicine made without heat or ice. Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup is organic, edible, topical, cosmetic, and water-soluble. Information is available at Golden Dragon Medicinal Syrup at gmail.com and by phone at 707-223-1569. Well, it is 7.59. You are listening to Redwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, KMUE Eureka Arcade at 88.1 FM, KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM, and in Shelter Cove at 99.5. We're also on the web at KMUD.org. It's 76 degrees outside. Stay tuned for Bunked Up with Cousin Mark.
Behold, I am Uncle Della. I am not of your world. But fear me not, I will do you no harm. Loan me your funky mind, and I shall play with it. For nothing is good unless you play with it. And all that is good is Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive.